Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Hello, and welcome back this week, another spring day. Uh, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. All right, and thank you um, back, everyone. Um, Just to remind everyone that uh, here at 14th Street Ministries, uh, we are a listener-supported ministry. Uh, We are all volunteers, no payroll. So your donations are most appreciated and appreciated. And if you would like to support this ministry to help pay for broadcast uh, programming time, uh, you can send your donations to 14th Street Ministries at 366 Woods Avenue, that's Newark, Ohio, 43055, or send us an email at michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. All right, and um, so uh, we're going to, let's open up in prayer, and then we'll get started with our program. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We Praise your holy name, Lord, and we thank you for the gift of eternal life that was given to us by your Son. We love you, Lord, and we want to serve you. We pray that the listeners will gain knowledge and wisdom in your word, and for, a, for the lost, lost in, the, in the world, the lost listeners, we pray that you open their hearts to the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in his name, amen. 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 Okay, we are going to start um, in Ephesians 1. We're going to pick up in verse 20, but we'll start with verse 15. I'll read 15 through 20. And this is a prayer for knowledge and power. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Thank you, Pam. So last week we got through verse 19, so I won't go through all of the verses we just talked about because we covered them last time, but let's pick up in verse 20 and the context is helpful. So it says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the the dead. And what that verse is telling us is that God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So that tells us a couple things. First, it tells us that Christ was raised from the dead, which we know is part of Paul's gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. And this verse tells us that God the Father raised him from the dead. Then what, what God the Father did is he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. 
in the scriptures, being set at someone's right hand is a position of honor. It's a position of blessing. And so we see that the, that God the Father determined to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after he raised him from the dead, he then set him at his own right hand. And then notice what it says at the end of verse 20, in the heavenly places. And that is, of course, where Christ is sitting today. Let's look next at verse 21. Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So verse 20 told us that Christ was uh, set at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. And then verse 21 further explains that it was far above, not just above, but far above all principality and power and might and dominion. You may be familiar with the fact that in Ephesians 6, verse 12, it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And, and what that verse is referencing is the fact that the, the warfare of the body of Christ is not against other people, against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers in heavenly places. In other words, Satan and those angels that followed him in his rebellion. What happened is when Satan rebelled, uh, he fell, and then what he did is he led a rebellion in heaven, and he convinced many other principalities and powers, in, in other words, leading authorities in heaven to follow him. So heaven has a, a civil war that has occurred. Uh, Satan committed insurrection. He rebelled, and he, he caused many other powerful figures in heaven to follow him. Now, while Satan did get principalities and powers to follow him, that's, that's a true statement. What is the relation of the Lord Jesus Christ to those powers? Well, he is far above all principality and power. So the Lord Jesus Christ exceeds Satan uh, in terms of Satan's capabilities and knowledge and so on. Christ far exceeds him. The, the, the gap is vast, and that's the point that verse 21 is making. And it's, it's not only far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, so he exceeds all, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. A cross-reference that I think is helpful is in Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What the Lord Jesus Christ did by the cross is he conquered all of the principalities and powers that oppose what God the Father is doing. When, verse, when Colossians 2.15 talks about spoiling them, it's a military term. It's, it's the idea of he militarily defeated them. He conquered them. But what did he then do? He, he plundered them. He took the spoils of war. All the things that were formerly controlled by Satan and his minions that they had power over, well, the Lord Jesus Christ just took it from them. And so Satan and his minions are allowed to reside in heavenly places for a period of time. God's allowing them to be there, but Jesus Christ has won the victory over them, and um, he's conquered them. So that's verse 21. Let's do verse 22. Okay, and hath put all things under his feet, 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So verse 22 says he's put all things under his feet. Uh, We won't turn there for the sake of time, but if you think about Genesis 3, and when God cursed the serpent, uh, what he what the Lord said to the serpent was that uh, he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so the metaphor that was created was the seed of the woman, which is obviously a reference to Jesus Christ, is he was going to destroy the serpent. And he was going to destroy the serpent in a way where the Lord would receive a bruise on his foot obviously a comparatively minor wound, but where would the serpent be bruised? In his head. And so Ephesians 1.22 is a wonderful cross-reference for that and hath put all things under his feet. Well, that includes the principalities and powers that the Lord Jesus Christ has conquered. The verse uh, then says, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So Jesus Christ today is the head of the church. There's an interesting cross-reference in Colossians 1.18. Now, as we turn to Colossians 1.18, just think through this with me. With verse 21, we saw there was a a cross-reference to Colossians 2.15. In verse 22, we see there's a cross-reference to Colossians 1.18. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar books. The best way to understand what a verse in the Bible means is to find another verse. Here's what often happens. If you read a verse and it seems confusing, well, what do you do? Well, if you have a study Bible, you look to the bottom of the page and it gives you a note. Or what you can do is you can say, well, I'm going to pick up a commentary, or I'm going to hear what some preacher says about this verse. And, you know, those are okay things, but there's nothing ever as good as actually finding another verse because Scripture explains itself. So Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, that's what Jesus Christ is, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Let's do verse 23. Which is his body? the fullness of him that fulfill that filleth all in all. So verse 22 and verse 23 describe the church as his body. In other words, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. So think about that metaphor with me just for a minute. As you think about what a, a, a man is, what a human is, we're really three-part beings. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Well, why do we have a body? The reason we have a body is since we live on a physical world, the body is what enables us to interact with the physical world. We have the spiritual component of our being so that we have a spiritual mentality, so that we have spiritual understanding. We have the body so we can interact with the earth. Why is that relevant? Well, When you look at Colossians 1, verses 22 and 23, and it describes the church as his body, Mm -hmm. what those verses are telling us is that Christ interacts today with the earth through his word and through the body of Christ. Why didn't God, the moment you believe the gospel, why didn't he just take you to heaven? Why didn't he say, well, look, my purpose for you is in heaven. 
you don't need to stay on this sin-cursed earth. Come up to heaven and be with me. Well, the reason he didn't do that is because God has purposes for our lives. And, and what God does is God uses the body of Christ to preach the gospel so that other people can be saved, to teach the scriptures so that saints can get established in the truth. What I'm sort of inviting us all to understand is that we are the body of Christ. Jesus Christ uses us as his body, as ambassadors to this earth. That's the role that we play, and it's quite an important one. Mm-hmm. So that's Ephesians 1. Uh, we should now talk about Ephesians 2. All righty. Um, Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So let's talk first about the word quickened. It says, and you hath he quickened. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty six. And we do encourage you to turn with us because we just always think it's better for you to read the verses with your own eyes, and it'll give you an ability to look at the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So what has to happen before something is quickened? Well, it it has to die first. It has to be dead. So in, in Ephesians 2, verse 1, when it says, and you hath he quickened, it means that we used to be dead. What were we dead in? Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2, 13. I keep going to Colossians, but it's just a very helpful book to explain mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Colossians two thirteen, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians 2.13 is an important verse to explain how salvation works today. So let's just talk about it for a minute. And you being dead, well, they weren't physically dead, right? They were obviously physically alive, but they were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's what we all were. In other words, we were spiritually dead. Even while we were physically alive, we were spiritually dead. Why? Because of our trespasses and sins. And then it says, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here's what goes on, and this is really profound. When someone is lost, which we, um, you know, we are before we're saved, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We, we are spiritually dead. Even though we have a spirit, the spirit is dead. But something fantastic happens when we believe the gospel. When we believe that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, the moment that we place our faith in Jesus Christ's shed blood, he forgives us of all of our sins. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens at that very same moment? When he forgives all of our sins, According to Colossians 2.13, he does something else at that same time. He quickens us. We go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Look with me at Romans 7, verse 9. This is an absolutely fascinating verse. Romans 7, verse 9, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Here's what Romans 7, 9 is saying. When someone is born, they are born spiritually alive. So if you look at a a little baby, 
they are spiritually alive. Now, they're a sinner, but they are spiritually alive because they do not yet have the knowledge of good and evil. But what Romans 7, 9 tells us is what happens when the commandment came? What happens when they come to that knowledge of good and evil? Well, sin revived and I died is what Romans 7, 9 says. That's not physical death. That's spiritual death. One comes to a knowledge of good and evil, and then one is responsible for their sins. At that point, they spiritually die. So what happens at that point? Well, that person is lost. What do they need to do? When they believe the gospel, they will be forgiven all trespasses and based upon Colossians 2.13 and Ephesians 2.1, then they get quickened. So here's what happens when you tell someone the gospel and they believe it, not only are all their sins and trespasses forgiven, but they go from being spiritually dead to being quickened, to becoming spiritually alive. Now, we have a little break coming up, but I'm just going to pause there in case anyone has any uh, comments they want to make before we go to break. Yeah, that's our purpose, too, uh, with, uh, with these lessons is to uh, invite a lost person to accept the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He shed, our, shed his blood for our sins. And if we believe that without works, if we believe it, then we become a new creation in Christ. Yes, and it's it is and it's hard um, for some to actually um, you know to get that faith that they totally believe that because they always think that there has to be something more. How can this gift be uh, so easy um, mm-hmm. to obtain? Um, so yeah, if um, you know if we believe that. Um, the death, burial, and resurrection, then as he promised, um, we get to live eternally with him. So we'll be right back after this break, and we'll see you again soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
listening to the radio program Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to Michael R. Mix at 14thstreetministries.com. Now back to Why Paul? And welcome back. Uh, so right before we jump back into Ephesians, uh, Pam, did you have any updates uh, from our viewers? Um, uh, for this yes. week? Um, like last week, we had said that if you were interested in David's book and um, other information, we um, received several um, requests. And one exciting request that we got um, was from a young man in the Philippines. His name is Noel, and he is starting a Bible study. And Amen. I requested a, a a book and a soft copy. So he also said that he's listening to the the program and using the radio program as a a sound for his own Bible study. And he sent us a picture of his church that he started in in um, the Philippines with young people. So I think it's more of the twenties and teens, which I was very excited to hear about. Yeah, that's very yes. good. Praise the Lord. Yep, that's encouraging. All right. Yeah, I, go, ahead. go ahead. All right, I was just going to say we'll jump back into Ephesians. All right. We we just finished Ephesians 2, verse 1, so let's start now in Ephesians 2, 2. All right. Wherein, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So that verse says that in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. The world has a course to it. It has a path that it's going down. It has a direction. Mm -hmm. And I think the most helpful way to think about that is it's like a body of water. Rivers carve out a path and they generally remain in that same place. They don't move around a lot. Sometimes they erode and sometimes there's disasters, you know, things that cause it to change, but generally they're in the same place and they always flow the same direction. They don't flow. They don't suddenly start flowing the opposite direction. It just doesn't work that way. So the world has a course to it. And what the verse says there is that it's according to the prince of the power of the air. In other words, it's the prince of the power of the air. In other words, it's the devil that influences the course of the world. And we know that because Satan is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So think about that. Put those two concepts together. So if you think of a body of water that has a course to it, and you think of the the prince of the power of the air, the wind, well, we, we know that water, uh, excuse me, wind controls ships at sea. Now with modern, you know, steam power and, and gas turbines and so on, it's a little bit different. But historically, how did Columbus get to America? Well, he got thrown a ship on, that was using wind power. So when Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air, the concept that's being communicated is he controls the, the air, the winds of this world. Uh, we'll get to this later in Ephesians, but let's just skip ahead for a minute. If you go to Ephesians 4.14, Ephesians 4.14, 
that we henceforth be no more children. And then listen to what this says, tossed to and fro. Isn't that what sometimes happens with boats that are out on the sea? When there's violent storms, they'll, the boats will be tossed back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, this is probably an earthly metaphor, but does anyone remember that very important artistic show, Gilligan's Isle, where uh, yes. the, the, the minnow was tossed? Well, it's because the boat was tossed by violent seas. That's the idea. And then notice what it says, tossed to and fro and carried about. Well, boats can be carried by current, carried about with every, notice what it says, wind of doctrine. See, what, what, what Paul does is he, he also, by the way, he uses the term shipwrecked. He, he talks about being a castaway. And the idea that he's, the, the, the picture that he paints is that this world system is like being at sea. And of course, sea is a dangerous place to be. And there are winds of doctrine that blow people about. So Satan as the prince of the power of the air, he is able to influence the thinking of most of humanity by winds of doctrine. And that's why most people live according to the course of this world, because the prince of the power of air sets the course, and then people generally walk according to it. Now, you don't have to. You can choose to walk against the course of this world, and the way that you do that is you get your mind in the Word of God, and you think about things the way that He does. But what happens if, for example, if instead of spending your time in the Word of God, you get all of your information from, I don't know, news and and TV and movies and whatever you read on the internet? Well, your thinking is going to match the winds of doctrine that the prince of the power of the air has created. And that's what happens to most people. And if you look at the last part of Ephesians 2, 2, it says the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That doesn't mean that everyone is possessed by the devil. It doesn't say that. But, but what it's saying is that, that his spirit works in the children of disobedience. And in other words, those that are not saved, it, it does so because he has influenced the thinking of this world. Mm-hmm. And so they think about things the way that he does. 1 Timothy 4.1 says the following. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. So that's people that are in the faith leaving it. Why do they do that? They give heed to seducing spirits. In other words, evil spirits that draw them away from the truth. How do the spirits do that? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What people sometimes think is what devils do is they haunt houses. They appear as ghosts. They cause objects to fly around the room. You know, they do all sorts of, you know, strange stuff that you see in movies. What scripture actually describes devils as doing is is far more subtle and sinister. What they do is they have doctrines. And so they have false doctrines. So the devil can influence, for example, Bible versions or Bible commentaries or churches. Like, for example, if a church teaches, you must be baptized to be saved. Did the Holy Spirit tell them to do that today? No, because you're saved by grace through faith apart from works. My point is simply this. What is going on on the earth today is that Satan and his minions, they have doctrines that they propagate, 
And those doctrines are throughout the world system. Those doctrines are believed by many in the church. And the danger of that is people need to change their thinking so that they line up with the word of God and not simply what men say. So that's verse two. Let's turn to verse three. Among whom also we all are conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So verse three is a helpful reminder when it says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. So in other words, sometimes as saved people, we think, well, you know, if we're being honest, you know, well, what's wrong with these people? Don't they understand? Mm -hmm. And of course, we were in that same boat, weren't we? Because at one point, we didn't understand. Before we got saved, the lost man has no ability to apprehend, to understand spiritual things. It is the Spirit of God that reveals them. So, all lost men are the same in that they can't understand. They can't, Mm -hmm. they have no way to comprehend spiritual truth. That's where we all were. Uh, That ought to give us a sense of empathy and compassion for those that we're trying to reach because we were in the exact same predicament they were in. Now, in verse three, it talks about the children of wrath. If you recall in verse two, it talked about the children of disobedience. So, it's, it's the same group of people. They're first called the children of disobedience, and then they're called the children of wrath. And the idea there is, uh, look with me at Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. And what happens often, not only does the Bible explain itself, but books often explain themselves, right? So if you keep reading, and by the way, just let me just make this remark. When Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote it as one letter, right? One epistle to the folks in Ephesus. So to understand any particular verse, it fits within the context of Ephesians, so it's good to read the whole book. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 5, 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. People will try to deceive you. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. What happens is because people are disobedient, and we'll talk about what that is in just a minute, that's the reason that they receive God's wrath. In other words, the reason people are children of wrath is because they were first children of disobedience. So get with me, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, and let's talk about what disobedience means. Now, we understand that disobedience uh, involves sin and it involves rebellion against what God has told us to do. But what's, I think, particularly helpful to understand is 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's critical. Everyone on earth is a sinner. We've all sinned. And your sins are what is going to cause you to be punished in hell. But there's an easy way out, and the easy way out is believing the gospel. So, it doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. God will forgive them if you believe the gospel. But the The problem that can't be fixed is this. If you refuse to obey the gospel, in other words, if you refuse to believe and trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, if you refuse that, there's really no way to fix that problem um, because Mm -hmm. he is the way, the truth, and life, and no man cometh to the Father but through him. So when you reject the gospel, 
you remain a children of disobedience, a child of disobedience, and therefore you suffer God's wrath. That's why we're doing this program. If you're hearing this, you need to believe the gospel because otherwise you are a a child of disobedience and, and thus a child of wrath, and you will be under God's judgment. But you can avoid that just by believing the gospel that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. So that brings us to verse number four. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. God is rich in mercy. When, and let's just be honest here, when we think about the word rich, what do we often think about? We think about money. That's the way that humans think about things. We think about wealth and money and possessions, right? God is rich in mercy. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And this tells us about the great love wherewith he loved us. Compare this verse to Romans 5, verse 10. Romans 5, 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What God did is he died for us when we were enemies. We were actively rebelling against him. We deserved his wrath. And what God did is he died for us anyway because of the great love that he has for us. Let's do verse five. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. So we are spiritually dead as lost sinners before we get saved, but we're quickened together with Christ when we believe the gospel. Now, if you notice the last part of that verse, by grace, ye are saved. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, who hath saved us, And called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. God doesn't save us because of our works or our good deeds or our acts of righteousness. It's none of that. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. What I want you to notice there is verse 2 Timothy 1.9 tells us there's a difference between grace and works. The average person thinks they're saved by works. But scripture tells us that we are saved by grace, and grace is not works. Grace is unmerited favor. It's blessing that is given that we didn't earn. When you work for something, you earn it. The reason you get a paycheck at the end of the week is you worked. You earned it, and your your employer is obligated to give you the paycheck because the the employer has incurred a debt to you because of the, the services you've given. Well, grace is not that way. Grace is you didn't earn it, but God and his immense mercy will give you blessing anyway. Look at verse 6 of Ephesians 2. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Compare that to Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 2, 6 said that we've been raised up and made to sit together in heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3 last week told us that we were blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Philippians 3, verse 20 says our conversation is in heaven. 
Well, what does that tell you? The body of Christ is a heavenly people. I realize we're still here on earth and we're still here in earthly bodies and we have all these earthly concerns, right? You got to figure out how to survive on the earth in terms of health wise and financial and all just the the day-to-day details of earthly life. But this earth is not really our home, is it? Um, We are a heavenly people. That's where our blessings are. That's where our conversation is. And it's where we've been made to sit together in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging because it it seems to me this world is a mess. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so uh, it'll be great when the Lord calls us home. Verse 7, please. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. So, in the future is what it says, the ages to come. In the future, God will show the exceeding riches of of his grace. So we saw earlier that God was rich in mercy. We now see the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Now, notice what this actually says here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. So God is gracious toward the body of Christ. He has saved us, even though we didn't deserve it. And what verse seven is talking about is in the ages to come, in the future, what God is going to do is he's going to show to the universe, the exceeding riches of his grace. And the idea here is this. God didn't just save us from hell, although that's true. What what he also did is he has given us spiritual blessings in heavenly places where we are part of the body of Christ for all eternity. And those immense riches, God provides to us spiritually, not coins, but spiritual blessings. And God is going to show that to the universe. So that's verse seven. Let's, let's, let's pause there in case anyone has any comments before we take a break. Yep. And I like how, um, uh, I, I like how what we said before was um, that looking to other verses, you know, how we're doing comparing the verses um, to Ephesians, we're looking in the Bible for that commentary you know, I really appreciate that because a lot of times you do wonder which commentary do I believe. Um, so we'll come back to Ephesians right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? 
Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul all right welcome back and we are going to jump right back into ephesians um, I believe uh, we're at Ephesians 2.8. Are we ready for 2.8? Mm-hmm. All right. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I'll also do, go ahead and do 2.9. Uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Great. Thank you. So let's just make sure we understand the, the, all the details of those two verses, because this is, frankly, the dividing line between heaven and hell for most of humanity. For by grace, grace is unmerited favor. In other words, it's the blessing of God that you didn't earn. You didn't merit it. You, you, know, you don't have a claim to it because there's nothing you did to earn it. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So what causes us to be saved is believing something. And that, not of yourselves, it's not your resume, it's not your list of accomplishments, it is the gift of God. Well, if it's a gift, it tells you it's not by works. And then verse 9 specifically says, not of works, lest any man should boast. What I find to be the case is that many people know that Christ died for their sins. They know that he died on the cross. But their understanding of salvation is Christ died for my sins, but I got to live it. Christ died for my sins, but I can lose it if I do this or that. Christ died for my sins, but if I don't endure and persevere in good works and righteous living, then I won't be saved. And what all of those different formulations do is they add works to the gospel. Because what scripture teaches is you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're saved in an instant, in a moment of time when you believe the gospel. Let's look at Titus chapter 3. Now, whenever you're trying to think through a doctrine, you don't want to build it on one verse. You want to have multiple verses, because when you have multiple verses, you can be satisfied that you're not misperceiving something. So, look with me at Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
So Titus 3 is just like Ephesians 2 in telling us that we're not saved by our works. Titus specifically says, not by works of righteousness, but it's according to his mercy. And that's how salvation works. Look with me then at Romans 11, verse 6. Romans 11, verse 6. I like Romans 11, 6, and I often include it in the gospel presentations that I am able to give because I think it, it addresses a misconception that many people have. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, other than being a tongue twister that's a little tricky to say, what's the point of that verse? Well, the point of that verse is this. You can be saved 100% by works, or you can be saved 100% by grace, but you can't be saved by a combination. Because it specifically says, and if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. So you're either saved 100% by works or 100% by grace, but you're not saved in the middle. A lot of people think, well, God saves by grace, but I got to live it. God saves by grace, but I have to get water baptized. God saves by grace, but I have to be faithful in church. That's not what the verses say. The verses say you're either saved 100% by works or 100% by grace. You can't be saved 100% by works because you're a sinner, right? Mm -hmm. So if you rule out being saved 100% by works because you're a sinner, and you rule out being saved by part works and part grace because of what Romans 11.6 says, we're only left with one option. You're saved 100% by grace. There's no works that you have to do to be saved. Now, people balk at that because the way the world works is, what have you done for me lately, right? We all all know that. We know that's how it is. Well, that's not the way God's grace works. He will save us eternally in an instant when we place our faith in the gospel. Let's let's do Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, this is interesting. Mm. Uh, We looked at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and it specifically told us that salvation was not of works. And then in verse 10, the very following verse, what does it say? We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Well, is scripture contradicting itself? No, Mm. it's not. But here's what it's saying. For the purpose of being saved, in other words, how do you get saved and avoid going to hell? Salvation has nothing to do with works. You are saved solely by grace through faith in an instant when you believe the gospel, Christ died for your sins. But what should you do with the rest of your life? Why did God save you? Well, he saved you because you were created to do something. And what is it you were created to do? You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What happens is sometimes people will say, well, if you teach salvation by grace, what you're saying is people can live evil lives and they can live wicked lives Mm -hmm. and so on. Well, they can do that, but they shouldn't do that. God saved you for a purpose. He created you unto good works, and that's what we need to be. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you get saved, you're a new creature. Can you live like you used to? Yeah, you can, but it's inconsistent with who you now are because you are a new creature. And that new creature was created unto good works. And that's what we should all be doing. Look with me at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we will look at verse 11, Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, So God's grace teaches us something, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some people will say grace means you can sin as much as you want. That's not what the Bible says. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that when the grace of God appears to all men, what does it teach them? What does it instruct them to do? It instructs them to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In other words, saved people shouldn't live like the lost. They shouldn't walk in sin because it's inconsistent with who they now are in Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Ephesians 2 and let's do verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in times past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So when we look at verse 11, and it talks about time past, wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past. Do you remember how in verse 7, we read about ages to come? If you skip down to verse 13, just for a minute, it'll say, but now. So in Ephesians 2, it gives us the basic structure, the the, the chronological structure of the Bible. There is time past, but now ages to come. Essentially, it's past, present, future. Past is time past. Present is but now, and then ages to come is obviously future. Why is it important to understand those things? Well, we are commanded to rightly divide the word of truth, and we need to understand that God's dealings with man change over time. It's not that God changes. God is God. God doesn't change. But do his dealings with sinful man change over time? Yes, they do. So let's read verse 12. That at that time... Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So when we were in verse 11, and it said, ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. So Paul's writing to Gentiles, obviously. And what he then says in verse 12, he says, ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, obviously Gentiles weren't part of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
So when you think about time past, in other words, before the dispensation of grace, before the time period in which we live, what was the condition of Gentiles? It was pretty bad, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they weren't part of Israel. Because they weren't part of Israel, they were strangers from the covenants of promise. In other words, God gave the covenants of promise to Israel. So if you weren't in Israel, those covenants of promise weren't yours. And then what verse 12 says is they were without Christ. Well, that's not good. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's just basically pretty terrible is what that is. Let me make one point on time past before we move forward. Get Esther 8, verse 17. Esther 8, verse 17. While it is true that Gentiles in time past had no hope, there was something Gentiles could do. Esther 8, verse 17. And in every province and in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now, when it says they became Jews, that doesn't mean people who weren't physically descended from Jacob became physically descended from Jacob. It doesn't, it, their, their genetics didn't change. But what happens in the Old Testament in time past is it's possible for a Gentile to become a Jew, to join themselves to Israel and be a Jew. So in time past, a Gentile as a Gentile had no hope, but could they become part of Israel? Yes, they could. They could become a Jew. Let's read verse 13, and we'll do this as the last verse. Okay. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So verse 13 is a beautiful, beautiful verse. Mm-hmm. What happens today in, in but now in the present time? Well, Gentiles in time past, ye were without hope. But now in Christ Jesus, we were far off, but we're now made nigh by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. What that means today is Jew and Gentile have equal They have the same access to God, and all they have to do is believe the gospel that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day. What a glorious time to live. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot to look forward to. Yep. So, we'll pause there. Does anyone have anything they want to add? Well, and and one thing, we we will uh, let all of our uh, faithful listeners uh, and we're so appreciative of all of our listeners on Absolutely. Facebook, joining us on Facebook Live so we get to see everyone. Um, and then throughout, you know, throughout the whole world uh, that they're listening, that to remember that you can now take this word and go spread the gospel to people you know to help spread it. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what our purpose is, is let's, you know, we take, we give it to this many but we want to see it spread and, you know, so that it can reach everyone who needs to um, understand and believe in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. So we appreciate everybody listening this week and join us next Tuesday uh, for more from Ephesians. Have a good week. You have 
have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.